0: Are we not the bestest of friends already? Only in media. Hello and welcome to another edition of Stargazing, a Defending Big D podcast. We are joined today by Rob McClay, uh, our resident hockey player on staff. Rob, how are you doing?
1: I'm good. How are y'all doing tonight?
0: Hanging in, man. We're hanging in. Uh, the season's over. <laughs> so we're here to kind of ask how we got here. <laughs> and, you know, and then also kind of talk about maybe some things that they might do better or, or might look to improve upon in the off season. now that we're kind of at a big crossroads for the organization, I would say. I think there's a lot of decisions that are going to need to be made um, that determine the future direction of this team. So I think kind of to start off, you know, what do you, what did you think about the season? How do you kind of assess all of the off the ice adversity that impacted the on ice scheduling and the, you know, four games in seven days for weeks and weeks and weeks. And how do you kind of, how do you kind of separate that from maybe some of the more inherent issues with the system or with players themselves this season?
1: Yeah, I I definitely look at this season with, you know, a certain amount of respect that I probably don't have for previous seasons, just based on everything these players had to go through just to finish 56 games on a schedule like that. Um, The COVID outbreak and then the winter storms that undoubtedly affected, you know, these players and their livelihoods and families. So I think it was, a grind for all of them and they show that they're you know true professionals and actually showing up to work every day and at least putting a product on that was watchable most nights um so i think from that standpoint i'll always have some kind of admiration for this team even though the playoff success won't be there um from a hockey side i think what we saw is a lot of what plagued you know the team last year if you don't have jason robertson step up i mean this team is getting blown out on some nights. And if you don't have Pavelski on the power play, you, you know, you they're getting blown out on most nights. So I think from a hockey standpoint, they're the same issues just cropped up in different ways this year. And if not for a couple of key contributors, you know, stepping up and making more of their roles, I think season looks a lot worse. But I think the results still would have been the same that this team still doesn't make the playoffs.
0: So, yeah, so obviously there's a lot to unpack, and and I like the way that you put it. It's admiration for all of the things that they did overcome, and I don't think that that can be just easily dismissed, right? You know, the COVID outbreak at the beginning, I mean, Anton Kedobin spoke to the media for his end-of-season media just this, this week, and he said that he came to Dallas after contracting COVID back in November came to Dallas and still didn't have his sense of taste and didn't really get it back until recently. And he admitted that it hit him hard and, you know, that there were, you know, and and Rick bonus said, you know, he, without naming names that you would go, he would skate up to a guy, you know, during morning skates or practices and be like, Hey, you just don't really look (laughs) practices (laughs) joke. Um, but (laughs) But he would, you know, he would skate up to them and say, you know, you look a little off. Are you feeling okay? And and they would just be like, you know, I'm tired. Um, He mentioned how some guys, you know, really felt the effects of the vaccine when the team was able to get vaccinated. And he's like, you know, it explains a lot about how they looked some nights. But at the same time, I look at that and I go, yeah, but slow starts have been an issue for this team for a couple of years now. I remember Jim Montgomery when he first started and and the team would do the same thing. He would be like, you know, we've tried everything. We've tried, you know, having video sessions and we've tried yelling and we've tried praising and we've tried, you know, showing them, you know, tape of when they did have good starts and be like this, this is what you should do. And they still didn't figure it out every game. Um, And so that's not something that I think is wholly on the health of the team either. And, you know, I, at some at some points, you have to stop looking at the off ice stuff and start looking at the players, the coaches, coaching staff, and the system itself. Because some of this is symptomatic of larger issues, and we've been seeing it for years. This team can't—they can't score.
1: Yeah, and I, would, that's
0: not I would. Something that's just new this year.
1: <laughs> yeah, I would definitely agree. I mean. I, I do understand from a physical standpoint. You know, the hockey is a demanding sport. You know, on the respiratory system. Um, so, I can see why you, know, you could be they could be out of breath or tired or you know just not into it. But I mean, you're right. When you get past the physical and the environmental factors of this year, um, it really does come down to this team. Yes, they don't have Tyler Sagan. Yes, they don't have Radulov or Ben Bishop or. You know the myriad of other players they were missing, but it also comes down to it. The team's decor for me was still healthy the vast majority of the season. They still had Klingberg in there, they had Lindell, they had and they had Alexiak. So you have the base of your team from a defensive standpoint. Um, if you know you're missing a Tyler Sagan or an Alexander and you have two offensive weapons you can roll out every other ship on the back end, why not lean? in the opening up that game for those two defensemen to create more offense or to at least help guys who may not be finishers finish a little bit, you know, higher on a little bit higher percentage. So I think there was definitely things they could have done. I mean, you still have Joe Pavelski, you still have Jamie Benn up there, you still have Gary on up and I know Hintz was on pretty much one leg, but I don't think Tyler Sagan, if you knew he was going to be missing for how long, for as long as he was out, I don't think you can always wrestle that excuse. Well, Tyler Sagan would have made the season better. I think you still have to play with the pieces you have and construct a system around that that does lead to offense, and I just didn't see it this year.
0: You know, what's interesting, though, is Mike Heike actually tweeted this out earlier um, on Thursday, and he said the Stars were top five in scoring chances and top five in high-danger scoring chances, but they were 29th in shooting percentage. So they created, actually, as an elite team, they just – don't have finishing power like and to me you don't get to the NHL without being able to put the puck in the net no matter what line you're or what role you're playing because the best you know the worst fourth liner in the NHL is still light years ahead of of most people who pick up you know a stick and strap on some skates so i don't think that it's like some kind of magic potion that has come over this team that like hey I got to the NHL level and I play for the Dallas Stars and now I just somehow forgot how to score that's not a thing um so how how do you how do you reconcile that between you know between their creation and their actual scoring ability how do you how do you make those two kind of statistics drive as a hockey player yourself you know how to play the game better than a lot of people how do you how do you how do you make that jive in your
1: mind? I would look at the stars. So I think hockey always starts from the back end out. So I think what the stars have that leads to that, you know, top five and high danger and scoring chances is that the puck they move the puck really well through the neutral zone with that defense core and it feeds the forwards. And the forwards then have a system in the zone where they can cycle the puck effectively. Like, take the Foxa, Cagliano, and Como line. That line, when they have the puck in someone's corner, they cycle really effectively and they always cycle towards the nets. So they're creating a lot of scoring engines as a line. I just don't believe that they have the finishing ability. I mean, every NHL guy can shoot the puck, but when it comes down to it, I think when you're scoring goals or creating offense, it's more instinctive. Um, Like, you know, when Sagan shoots, he shoots to score. Is is that the same philosophy where they used to being in those situations that, you know, they're in situations where they can shoot to score. So I just think it comes down to, they just don't have guys who are known as producers when it comes to goal scoring, but they still drive and create high danger chances or scoring chances when they're down in someone's zone because they're effective at what they're doing. They're just not finishing it at elite levels.
0: So I guess my question is, do you think that this is a chicken and egg situation? Are they designing their system around the pieces that they have? So is the innate problem with this type of um, conservative shutdown hockey, the fact that Dallas is lacking in finishing and also in creative playmaking abilities? Like, there's not a lot of those players. And then when you do have only a couple of those in Hintz and Robertson and Radulov, and you're missing, like, half of those most nights, it is. Yeah. is this the final product because of that?
1: Yeah, I think Dallas has definitely designed their system around their current, you know, roster construction. I mean, you can't ask a third or fourth line like Dallas has to go play high-flying, you know, an offensive system like a Tampa Bay would or even a Boston for, for that matter I mean those teams have built their depth around speed attack offense or at least creates and stresses and then you can build the momentum and stack shifts together I think what Dallas has done is you have a line like that with hence Robertson or you know Pawlowski where those guys can skate they can get up the ice um I might have my line combos off but Those guys can skate. Those guys can get up the ice and skate, so they can play that high speed. The thing is, you get to the third and fourth lines for Dallas, and it's a slow checking style where it's not as open, and then you've kind of cluttered up the game a little bit. So I think that's generally what I see in Stars games, Um, and I just think that's because they don't have the pieces to be have a consistent a consistent system throughout the entire lineup.
0: Interesting. I mean, I don't think that like. Okay, I look at Radek Foxer, right? And for a time, like, before this season, I would say he was considered, like, a pretty elite third-line center. He has wheels. He can definitely get up and down the ice. I don't know if getting saddled with Blake Como and Andrew Cogliano changed his game. But I feel like he used to be more of an offensive threat than he has been maybe the last two seasons or so. Um, so do you think that that is part of the reason why is because of like, who's around him? Because I feel like he used to be way faster and also create just more offensively than I feel like we saw this year and maybe even parts of last year.
1: Yeah, no, I would definitely agree with that. Cause you're, you still, if you're a rad Fox, then yeah, I agree. He can skate and he's, and he does have, you know, offensive capabilities when he's You know, when he's hot and when he's going, I mean, his goals in the playoffs against Minnesota in 2016 were, you know, unreal. So I think he is, you know, a really good player who can create offense. But, yeah, I do think, when you have guys like Blake Como or Andrew Cagliano, which they've been checkers for their entire career. It does change the way you have to play because you have to play off your line mates. If you're not, if they're playing in a certain in a certain way and you have to support, you know, as a center, you have to support the winger. Or the defenseman, if you get caught out of position not supporting to go play offense with two guys who can't play offense, then you've just made it a 5-on-4 game. So, I think to stay in the play, you have to stay with your line mates and work off of one another. But it does change the way you play. You know, Tyler Sagan is going to play a different way and look different in the line with, you know, Tanner Kiro or you know, tied to Landry. It's just they're not the same caliber player Where he, when he's playing with Radulov and Ben. It's a it's a line that terrified the league for a couple of years. So it is it does matter who you play with and how they're playing and what their style is because eventually you have to tailor that way to make it work.
0: I like that you used, me, used my name, Taylor. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, I agree with you. And so I do wonder if the issue with this team might resolve themselves a little bit just kind of naturally with Como and Cogliano both being unrestricted free agents this season. And then, you know, a flat salary cap, maybe it forces Jim Nill to have to rely on some cheap, cost-controlled players. And then maybe Fox Fox's line gets completely reimagined.
1: Yeah, I would like to... You know, I think we so you said with the flat salary cap, it's going to come down to can the stars fill this depth organizationally and maybe make like a move in the offseason. Um, but I would like to see Fox that play with a guy like Ty Delandria or, um, you know, Tanner Kiro or, you know, Gardner. Uh, those are fast, quicker young players. Young players are generally more creative before coaches beat it out of them. Um, but I think it increase in speed on his line and creativity because Delandria is still a naturally offensive player. He's a better offensive player than Como and Cagliano, I'd say, but as he gets older, which I think then could unlock Fox's game and giving him more opportunity to, you know, be more of an offensive player as well. So I think if the stars want to play speed with Gary on and hence and, um, and Tyler Sagan, those are three really, really quick players and Radulov can skate really well as you know too. I think you have to find players who can who can skate like that, work like that, and also have, you know, an offensive nose, even as a third or fourth liner, so you're consistent throughout. Everyone's got a check. I mean, everyone has a check in the NHL now, but they're still they can still use that speed to their advantage, especially with that back end and how they distribute the puck.
0: Yeah, sometimes I've kind of found myself watching the stars and wondering why the defense hasn't activated more, and I just wonder if it's because they don't have the speed up front to be able to push going the other direction as fast as the blue line may want to. Like, maybe not when, like, Andre Secker is on on the ice. No offense to him. He's great. Good dude. But, you you know, he's not, he's not going to light the world on fire going up the ice, but you know, when he's, if he's out on the ice and he's got Hints and Robertson and Pavelski as his forward group in front of him, I mean, I just, I feel like there's a lost opportunity at times to, like, really get those guns going.
1: Yeah, I don't, I can't for the life of me understand why they didn't kind of replicate the playoff style with the defense. I, it could be that they were trying to shelter two goalies. I mean, Jake Ottinger was a young kid, still is a young kid. Um, Hedobin has never started before, so maybe they went back to a more defensive shell when it came to you know activating the defenseman because they didn't have you know that that luxury of you know knowing even though Hadobin played great in the playoffs last year, is it a certainty he can do it again? There might be more of that, like hey, let's hang back at home and let's take care of our goalies and not leave them out to dry, you know, for the sake of offense. So. I don't know. I, I noticed that this season, too, and I guess it can always come down to it that coaches are going to be more conservative um, than fans would like them to be. But, you know, I think that does maybe lend to an explanation that the goalies might have been a concern for them with Bishop out. So they had to change the style a little bit.
0: Oh, So we went back to Hitchcock hockey. Super fun. Everybody loved that.
1: That was a great thing no, here. <laughs>
0: I just don't you know I don't buy the the NHL mentality the old old school NHL mentality of defense winning championships because I look at Tampa Bay and I mean they play a high-flying system and they can outscore you most nights without even trying um granted they have a lot more talent than Dallas does but you know they they play a consistent style. Like, they don't change from regular season and playoffs. They are what they are, and they embrace that. And I think Dallas tried to do that, but on the other side of the spectrum, which is fine, I guess. It's just more boring. (laughs) But I am also not convinced that that lockdown um, defensive smothering, let's win this 2-1 game, Truly sets you up for success for the playoffs. I'm not convinced of that right now.
1: Yeah, and I don't and I don't believe the stars can can keep building their team that way because the NHL is just not trending that way anymore. Like you said, like teams like Tampa Bay. You know, Tampa Bay was missing Kucherov and Stamkos for large stretches, and you know, I know Braden points a really really good player, um, but he's not Nikita Kucherov or Steven Stamkos. But they have a way their team plays where Blake Coleman can kill you on a given night because he's a fast offensive player you know on a really good third or fourth line depending on what on which night it is so you know i think for dallas to succeed in the playoffs they need to find that system that you know marries offense to defense where you're not you know out of equilibrium and the system is definitely kind of more towards defense but the league requires offense so what do they have to do to i mean is is, Is it the coaching staff's philosophy or, you know, is bonus really serious when he sits down this summer and looks at the Colorado Avalanche or the Vegas Golden Knights or Tampa Bay, make it deep into the playoffs? Teams like Edmonton and, you know, Toronto, as they play a high-flying offensive system, but he should have gotten a closer look last year when we got beat by Tampa Bay.
0: Yeah, that wasn't close enough. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. You had a front seat. (laughs) Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I just I look at the teams that people consider to be complete teams in the NHL right now and like you, and you name them Colorado, Vegas, Tampa Bay, Carolina to a degree. I feel like Carolina is actually a really good example of what I would like to see Dallas play more of because they don't always sacrifice their defense for offense. I feel like they've found a balance there. I mean, it helps that they get really fantastic goaltending uh, and their baby rookie too. So like good on y'all, but some of that's also a system, right? Like <laughs> they have a defensive structure and they just trust that it's going to hold up and, but they sacrifice a little bit sometimes to get that, that offense going, but they have a cycle game that can absolutely beat you down. And one thing I noticed about Dallas last year was I felt like there were way too many shifts where it was a one and done. I do not recall very many extended periods of time where they would cycle in the zone and really try to grind down the opposition with chance after chance. You know, they they always look for the perfect pass or the perfect setup for a set play or whatever. And I was like, just pass the puck around. Just get the guys out of their own defensive system. Have some creativity. Let's do something different. If I... As somebody sitting in the stands, you know, up in the press box can look at this and go, I know exactly what you're trying to do. Then obviously the guys on the ice probably know the same thing. And so I, I think that's one question I have is like, do you feel the Stars are so concerned about their defensive posture that they don't cycle because they're worried about getting burned?
1: Yeah, I would definitely, I can see that in their game a little bit. I don't see it as much in, like, the high-level elite players like Jamie Ben or Podolsky or even Gryanov and Hintz. Obviously, Gryanov <laughs> has his own defensive deficiencies. But um, I think from a general standpoint, they don't play high enough in the zone that they want to, like, or low enough in the zone, they want to play too high on the, on the wall and... Keep it outside and maybe just generate a shot that generates a rebound, which then counts as a high danger chance or a scoring chance. Um, but then it's always track back and get back into a defensive position because you don't want to get you don't want them to fly the zone. Where if you think you have the speed that they talk about, then you should have the legs to get back. And the defense that defense core that defense where the Dallas has is an elite defense core. So I think they can trust their defense and their goaltending. Enough to give the forwards time to track back responsibly, but I just think they too they play way too high in the in the offensive zone. They don't play deep enough. They don't want to cycle the puck as much. And then if they do take a shot from the outside, it's like they cr- two guys crash, but then one guy is always high to, to track back. So I don't I don't totally understand it, but I also do understand that fear that if you do get burned, my coach is going to yell at me because I'll even play you know, drop in hockey during the week, and even I'll drop back to play defense because I think someone's going to yell at me. So I think it's in their mind, but at the end of the day, down low in the zone is where you create offense.
0: That has to be systemic then, right? Because there's no way, or do you think, I mean, does it have to be systemic, I guess? Because to me, if all the guys are doing that, that screams system. That screams that that's how they've been coached. Not that that's something that they're doing organically on their own.
1: Yeah, I think the stars are, are, like you said, are organically created to being a defensive posture to drop back into, you know, a defensive and to a defensive base. That's where they're comfortable. So, if you're playing offense and you're too high, you're going to realize you're too, or too low. You're going to realize you're too low in the zone, and they're going to make an effort to get back because you're out of your base, you're out of your comfort zone. So, like you can teach hockey where they play low in the zone. Like Tampa Bay, they work, the offense from low to high. So they're always trying to get the puck behind the D, crash, maybe get a quick cycle going and then they work the puck up into high offensive spaces like the point. They use the point all the time to cut the puck into the middle. So like it's always they're always low in the zone, the point's always an outlet and then the defenseman can go find the cycling forward in the slot for a shot. They love that play. So and that's an offensive system where Dallas is going to take shots from the outside, have two guys crash and then come back into your posture because you don't want to get burned on the on the rush out on the breakout pass out so it's definitely a philosophy I think they have um you know it's just something that doesn't lend itself to offense I
0: think I've just found Dallas Stars motto for next year get comfortable being
1: uncomfortable yeah take yourself take (laughs) a risk every once in a while
0: It's a, it's, it's something I think I heard you know, you know how companies have those speakers that come out and try to do the rah-rah thing, um, at your company outing. Um, I think it was from one of those guys. (laughs) I heard that. Um, but Hey, if it works, it works. And maybe that's what Dallas used to do is, is, um, get get comfortable being uncomfortable and being okay with the, with the unknown, so to speak, or the ambiguity, right? So the ambiguity of a more interesting offensive zone system where, yeah, every once in a while you might get burned, but that's when you're supposed to rely on your goaltender to come up with big saves. And I think that Dallas has shown, all of their goalies have shown that they have the ability to do that and they have the capability to do that. Um, Maybe Khudobin sometimes gets caught off guard and Ben Bishop has too actually but you know but that's to be expected but sometimes it's going to backfire on you but like you got to wave some positives with those negatives and I feel like more often than not it's going to lead to positive things positive outcomes playing that way than the number of times you're going to get burned going the other way and also have y'all not watched how fast Miro Haskinen is if he's the one on the ice y'all going to be fine he's going to be able to catch up with that guy going the other way (laughs)
1: Yeah, that's what I'm saying. I think from a defensive standpoint or a defense core standpoint, they have, like I said earlier, they have the, one of the best defense cores in the league. They can roll out a guy who could skate and move the puck up the ice with, you know, at, in, at an elite level. And then you have, you know, a forward group that, you know, says we should be able to score goals. I don't think there's any problem with Tyler Sagan scoring when healthy and Podolsky had a renaissance of sorts but but that decor and how they distribute this could be an offensive team that can compete with you know teams like colorado or vegas maybe not at a high level like you see you know them at but at a level that at least you know helps them rise into the top half of the league when it comes to actually scoring goals
0: you know one thing i would love 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 more than anything (laughs) is for us to be watching a game and for the outcome to not be like, <laughs> like a question mark so late into the game. So yes, uh, one goal leads are great and they don't ask you how many you win by, just how many you win. But at the end of the day, wouldn't it just be feel so much more nice and stress free if I don't know you mounted a two or three goal lead every now and then? Yeah this yeah, team like- is elite at protecting leads, but they're not as good at being like, okay, we have a lead, let's go out and get the next one. I think down yeah. the stretch, because they were up against the wall, they had a giant hole they were trying to dig themselves out of, it almost forced them to be more aggressive that way. And I noticed a shift kind of later in the season where they actually did, I was like, oh, wow, look. They're actually trying to go and get the next one. And that's when we watched them win, like, 5-1 against Tampa or whatever. And I was like, that was amazing. Do that more often. (laughs) (laughs) Why can't we just do what we want more often? Tell me.
1: (laughs) See, I come back to the point of, like, hypothetically, if they had won the Stanley Cup last year or, I yeah, last year, um, what would have what would it have looked like this year? Like, would they have, you know, been the, would we be in the same situation, you know, right now? Um, I think we can reliably say yes, and I don't think them winning a Stanley Cup really helps. I think it solidifies the thinking that, oh, yeah, the system works, even if we're going to miss the midst of playoffs this year. They're not, I wouldn't believe they change anything. So I think them losing last year, and the the you know trials and tribulations of this year, I think they're going to have to change something next year with this system to make it more competitive because obviously it's not it's not enough against you know more talented teams who run a you know a higher you know volume system when it comes to offense. So, and I really do see this off season as you know a time where this team really has to reinvent itself um, when it comes to just how they play the game.
0: Not only because they are kind of, quote, running up against their window closing with this core, but also you have to start to wonder how much longer Jamil is going to have some job security if the stars continue to fall further and further behind the rest of the league, right? Like, at some point, at some point they need to catch up, and they've And they need to be an exciting team. They need to sell tickets. They need to continue all of the positive things that they've been able to do off the ice, like attracting the draft, hosting a winter classic, and having such a huge turnout for that, Um, you know, hosting the, the World Juniors. Like, those are all things the organization has been setting themselves up for success. And to be a premier, you know, city for the league, And I just feel like the on ice needs to catch up.
1: (laughs) Yeah, definitely. Because like you just said, like they're doing so many great things around the team. I mean, even the finals run was great for the team. So, I mean, that really helps out and it really, you know, built into that greater vision. But, I mean, this season has to feel like just a massive downer after, you know, you said the Winter Classic, the draft a couple of years ago. I think we were building towards you know, the Stanley Cup final, we got there, but at the end of the day, we didn't win. And then we missed the playoffs next year. So, yeah, I'm curious to see what Jim Nill's rope is as well. Um, I can't imagine it's too long. I think he might get a pass for this year and he's built some, you know, capital with the finals run. I also look at, you know, what is the rope for the coaching staff? I mean, the same issues from last year existed. It just got, you know, glossed over by, you know, a finals run, but I mean, the same issues plagued this team into this year, too. So, you know, what does that look like as well for me? Yeah.
0: So I'll be very, very curious to see how it all goes. But before we close our show, you know, obviously this season, a lot happened. Um, One thing I want to ask you about, because I feel like you might have some unique insight on this specifically. So we heard a lot about the COVID protocols and for those who maybe don't pay attention to to hockey news outside of the, the Stars themselves, uh, Robin Lehner from Vegas actually talked a lot about the mental health side of things and how difficult this season has been because the guys weren't able to literally do anything on, on the road. They went to the hotel, they went to the arena, and they went back to their hotel, and that was it. But one thing that's kind of shined through, I think, from the stars' perspective, is how close this group is. You know, you had um, you had them doing some weird thighs situations for some photos <laughs> or some, some milestones. Um, you had Ben Bishop calling into a post game media availability and asking Jamie Ben questions, um, and even even to di- even this week with post game media sessions. Blake Como logged into Andrew Cogliano's availability and was like, hey, which of your two line mates is better looking? <laughs> so there's an obvious love and connection with this group. But um, how, how do you think they were able to maintain that, you know, from the bubble through this season, being on the road and not being able to do the things that maybe they would normally do, like go out to dinner and, and whatnot?
1: Yeah, so I would definitely say that stems more from just the locker room. Um, The locker room is that mutual meeting place where everyone is together. So you're disconnected from your phone, from your Twitter account. Like you're on, you're just present with your teammates. And then, you know, naturally you you have conversations in the room you build that trust before games and between periods after games and, you know, practices or morning skates. So they're together all the time in the locker room. I think that was a place where they felt, okay, I'm out of my room. So now I can just go hang with the guys. Like that was a place they had to be where they had to hang out to get to know one another or continue relationships. So I think it shows that Dallas has a strong dressing room after, you know, multiple playoff series and, you know, a cup run and um, all the big games they've played. So they had a good base like that. I can say from my standpoint, you know, growing up, going on, you know, tournament road trips or, you know, you know, whatever. I was never in my own hotel room. I was like, always with my teammates. Um, you know, parents were elsewhere, but you know, we'd be, you know, just together all the time, you know, your friends, you go to dinner, you go to lunch together. So it's not just the dressing room where we had the chance to, you know, build friendships and relationships. So I think that was really tough. I think that'd be tough for the younger teams in the league. Like, you know, Toronto's or, you know, Vancouver or teams that underperformed who we thought would be pretty good this year what are that are young teams, you know, I think younger teams need, you know, that, that extra time outside the room where they can, you know, go do young people things that they think is normal for, you know, a, you know, a life that really isn't normal. The normal 29 year old is not playing professional hockey. So, you know, I think they needed that escape and they just didn't get it this year. And, you know, I, I, imagine the mental health strain it took on those players. So I, that's why earlier in the show I just I just have admiration for the teams in general who actually you know made this work because I don't know if I could have.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think we've all kind of been experiencing that same disconnect from the young people things as you said. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know the things that we like to do that keep us young and and keep us you know focused in on life in general you know, when a lot of that's taken from you, you, you don't realize how much you miss being able to be like, you know what, I'm going to stay home this Saturday night because I can. <laughs> now you're being told yep, you have not to. I, not I have to. <laughs> yeah, I, I see the means where it's like, I miss turning down plans willingly. And I'm like, yes, <laughs> I do.
1: Yeah, I'll, I'll say yes to anything right now.
0: So. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. I'm like, oh, you want to go to a park? Okay. Do you want to go walk when it's pouring down rain let's go but um yeah so i i think you know to kind of close out this episode you know i i don't think it can be understated the amount of strain that any nhl player uh whether on taxi squad or uh you know playing on the team or even the ahl teams had very similar um circumstances that they were playing under and then also playing not in front of fans and you know i just i can't imagine all the things that they had to go through to even put the product on the ice to be able to bring um people who are staying at home and staying away from others like a little bit of a break from the everyday monotony so like like you said just super super amazing and, and all that what you know it was able to even get to where we are so like yeah the team didn't make the playoffs but in some ways you know you kind of hope that they get to be able to take that break mentally that they get to you know enjoy time with their new babies like john klingberg said um he turned down actually an invitation to go to world so that he can spend some more time with his two-month-old little girl and um you know, I think there was a couple of guys actually on the team who are also expecting children. Um, so, you know, for them to be able to be with their partners and, you know, be able to take that time away from the rink. I, in a lot of ways, I think this is actually going to be really good for the team because they'll be able to get that mental break and then also physically heal up. And maybe they'll be able to be super fresh and ready to go at the start of next year. But our work never ends. So... Rob, you will be back this summer, and we will continue talking systems because I find it super fascinating to actually have a person who understands hockey tell me I know what I'm talking about. So thank <laughs> you. Love that. Absolutely. Um, and, uh, yeah, we'll keep we'll keep breaking it down. Uh, maybe next time we can talk a little, uh, a little more defense. We'll go in-depth on defense next time with you, and we'll see how we can maybe make Miro Haskinen the Norris Trophy winner we all
1: know he should be oh i love it i'm down for that conversation anytime
0: awesome well thank you so much for joining me um and we hope you guys will all stick around throughout this summer we'll have tons of content um and we will be discussing at great length all of the things that the Dallas stars can do to improve themselves next year so stay tuned